Hello all, welcome to the very first episode of this exciting new podcast series, Not A Dollar More. My name is Shane and this is Australia's first podcast series dedicated to helping people who want to make changes to their gambling. Perhaps your gambling has got out of control lately, or perhaps you're starting to worry about your gambling. Spending more than you want, or maybe you just want some more information about the risks of gambling. All our podcasts will take a look at gambling through the eyes of people who have lived through a harmful gambling experience, and we hope their stories and ideas will help you think about your own gambling and what you might need to do. I've had an experience with gambling addiction myself and know all about it. Our podcast episodes include inspiring stories of hope and recovery, what type of help is available, the effects of alcohol and drugs on gambling, managing urges and triggers and how gambling can affect the loved ones in your life. We also have an episode on the pokies and one for young men and sports betting. And in this episode, we'll be talking about is your gambling harmful? Whatever your situation, we hope to help people get on with their lives without the stresses of gambling and encourage you to make some changes. Before we start the interviews, I'd like to share my own gambling story, which started at the age of 12. I was allowed to gamble with family when I was really young, as having a bet in our house was considered very normal, probably too normal. They were only little bets, but winning and losing was really common for me. It was exciting as a 12-year-old boy to watch your horse win. I remember turning 18 and thinking how lucky I was to be able to gamble legally. Gambling was such a normal activity in my environment, but in reality was really unusual behaviour. I remember constantly losing my money and thinking gambling more and winning was the only way I was going to win my money back. Help for me didn't even cross my mind for the first five years. I started having to borrow from family and friends to get by and there was so much humiliation that comes with asking people who earn the same or less than you for money week in and week out. There was also so much lying in order to get money. I also remember those late lonely nights at the pub, betting until I was broke, trying to work out how I was going to get to work the next day. I didn't even have enough money to fill my car up. Let me share a typical week for me in my early 20s. I would get paid Wednesday. Generally, I'd gamble Wednesday night, lose, gamble Thursday night, drink heavily and lose again. Wake up Friday with a splitting headache, broke. Would have to borrow money all weekend to do the things I enjoyed, like sport, going out with friends and pay my bills. Reliving this is still really hard. So I had to get help. Where does a 24-year-old gambling addict go? A gambling addict who honestly thinks gambling will be a struggle with him for the rest of his life. For me, it was a support program that helps people with addictions within my industry at work. My meetings with a counsellor wasn't the answer straight away, but it was a great place to start. And I started to get more confident with being able to do this. But the real clincher for me was meeting my now wife, who I hid my addiction from for one year before finally admitting to her that I was out of control. I couldn't bear to lose another thing to gambling, so I vowed never to gamble again. Looking back at some of the telltale signs that things were starting to get out of control was the borrowing of money. That was a big one, so obviously not having enough money to get through my week and not answering my phone. So when I was in a venue or if I was gambling alone and someone would call, generally I'd screen the call because I didn't want them to hear the background noise of where I was. And I think, you know, in reflection, I really should have got help a lot sooner. I knew I had a problem from 18. And if I had known the amount of help that's available out there, I think that would have really helped me. Our first guest is Elizabeth, who developed an addiction with the pokies, which continued on and off for about a decade. 
Welcome, Elizabeth. Can you tell us how your gambling started and what it was like in the beginning? Um, way back, my husband was a member of a golf club and we'd go to Cobram Baruga every Melbourne Cup and they had pokies there. And he used to control all our finances, so he'd give me 15 or $20 and say, make that last. But I couldn't really play that often. The final year before I left him, I actually got a credit card so that I could play a little bit more, you know, with my money. But I then had to do it secretly. So that's how it started. I then left my husband about a year later and it was the first time I had my own money and I didn't know what to do with it. I worked as a live-in nanny and so I didn't have any household bills. I didn't have to... The only thing I had to pay was my car repayments, petrol, car registration and most weeks I couldn't do that because I'd gamble all my money. So once you start having your own money, then things started to spiral out of control? Is it? Yes, because I'd never had money and I didn't know what to do with my wage each week. And as a living nanny, I didn't even have to buy food or, you know, shower items or anything. I don't smoke or drink, so I thought I love puzzles. And to me, the pokies was puzzles, just different patterns and that. And I loved the games. I really did. And I'd put some money in thinking I'd only spend 20 or $50, but very quickly, very quickly, I started spending all my wage each week. Right, okay. So looking back um, now... Can you recognise some of the initial signs of harm before things got really bad? Well, I often used to lie about where I was to my children. I have five children, so and they had all been married the last few years, and uh, so there were a lot of grandchildren coming at that time, and so there were birthday parties, and I'd arrive late or with no money, so then I'd sometimes even lie about why I had no money, oh, I didn't get paid or I lost my purse or very, very quickly I started doing all that. A lot of gamblers talk about the denial stage, um, being in denial of how bad things are getting. Did you experience that? I've thought about it. I don't think I did. And part of it is because my children were off my hands. They were all grown up so I didn't have to... Um, support them in any way. Uh, The other thing was I knew I didn't have any bills. So I knew that the following week I'd get a wage and it'd be all mine to do with as I wanted. So whether that's denial, um, it is in a way because it was ridiculous that I used to work all the hours I did and end up with nothing at the end of it just for a few hours at the pokies. So it seems like you got hooked quite quickly and maybe um, quite easily. What was it like at those initial stages of really feeling like you got hooked and what were some of the events perhaps that took place? Where I came from, there were venues across the road from each other and round the next block, so they were all very close. Most of the time I didn't even have a cup of coffee or... You know, I just wanted the machine. I loved all the different games. 
there were some I steered clear of because it wasn't my cup of tea, but I just loved it. I enjoyed it so much I wasn't aware of anything that was going on around me. It was something for me, having so many children and grandchildren, I needed to get away from that and it was an escape. No one knew where I was. What was it about the pokies that were so appealing? I think it was just that um, when I left my husband, I was in my 50s and I found that it was a place that a woman on her own could go at night and feel safe. Um, and that's what I liked. I could go nighttime, daytime, could spend as much time as I liked there. That's what was appealing, the safety. I And I thought it was um, my money, it's a harmless pastime is how I thought of it. But, uh, yes, it ended up not being that. Yeah. In the um, in the intro, I shared my story as far as how a typical week played out for me. Mm-hmm. For instance, you know, get paid, go and gamble, lose generally. <laughs> um, what's a typical week for you or general behaviours that maybe you did while you're gambling? Well, I never thought about gambling the whole week, uh, but on Friday when I got paid... I would be thinking, first thing I do, which I found was most helpful for me, was to fill my car with petrol because at least that way I could get to work. So I always had petrol in the car and then I'd think, I'm going to go and visit my kids on the weekend. But if it was raining, I'd think, oh, it's raining or it's too hot, the air conditioner's not going, um, so I'll pop into a venue and I did that most of the time. And um, there was always an excuse to go. And so I, yeah. Yeah, you hear a lot of um, pokey players saying they're driving down the street and they just can't bear to drive past a venue. Did you sort of, was it like that for you? Uh, Yes, there was one particular time when I owed money to two ladies that I had borrowed. I'd paid one lady off and as I was driving past the next venue, there was a car park spot directly outside the door and I thought, it must mean I'm going to win. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I went and I gambled and lost all my money and then I thought, how am I going to pay this other lady off? So, yeah, there was always some reason, as I said before, it's too hot, too cold, it's nice and warm in there. Uh, free coffee. So, yeah, always another draw for yeah. to go. So when did you actually realise that, hang on, I've got a problem here? Um, the day that I actually stole from a friend of mine, uh, she had given me some place to live and a job and I had lost all my wage and because I knew where her money was, I took some of that Um, but then when I stole all her money so all of a sudden my gambling escalated from what it was and then stealing from a friend that just uh, you know I thought I'd really because being a businesswoman for many years honesty and hard work was part of you know my makeup and all of a sudden I'm doing things that I would never do and it just wow, I've struck so low. So, yeah. 
And so stealing and then getting caught, is that? They didn't say anything. Okay. Uh, it was up to me to go up to her the next day and say, I stole your money. I did it for gambling and um, and they asked me a couple of questions and then she told me about Gamblers Anonymous, which is where I went and I've been a member uh, with Gamblers Anonymous for many years now. Just going back, was the stealing the tipping point for you? Oh, definitely. Uh, I knew I needed help. So did you actually have any awareness of the problem prior to that? I did, actually. I I was fed up with not having any money yeah. um, each week. Um, I couldn't go out. I'd make excuses for not going out or not being able to buy a birthday present for the grandchildren. And I was hoping there was something out there. I, I didn't realise help was available. Then when I started at GA, I thought it was wonderful. There's people there that felt the same as I did, did what I did, and I just felt like I'd gone home. They, they felt like family to me. And I think a lot of other people out there um, still don't realise the amount of help that is available. It's so much help, isn't there? Oh, yes. I looked it up yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering how easy it is, and I found there was a lot of help through both Gambler's Help Gamblers Anonymous and other private ones. So there is help, but you just, you know, you have to search for it and most people nowadays do. Sounds like Gamblers Anonymous was really helpful. Did you try anything else to stop? I did. I went to see a psychologist, but I realised after the meeting that I was lying at the other ones. So I stopped going. I didn't see the point in going if I was lying. But I continued with GA. I had six years abstinence and then I busted. And it took me a whole three years of busting. I uh, kept going to meetings in the meantime, but it took a whole three years before I stopped. And I've now been gamble-free for 10 years. Just going back to the lying. Yes. Um, we know how much help's available and we know... Um, how much it helps to be as honest as you can when you're getting this help. Yes, yes. It's um, it's pointless lying because that's right. You wouldn't do it to a GP if you had symptoms. You wouldn't say things that were wrong with you when they weren't. Yeah, exactly. Don't get the right medicine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but what I did do uh, three years ago, I decided to explore why. I went gambling in the first place. So I've seen a psychologist since then and uh, I'm still going and thoroughly enjoy and it's it's helped me this time around. So looking back, what would you do differently with perhaps the initial stages of the gambling? Maybe I'd go with someone because being alone, nobody knows how much you're putting in and on the rare occasion when I was with somebody, I would always sit either around the corner or a long distance away so they wouldn't know because they used to gamble normally. And I would put in one note after the other. It was amazing how hard I worked and I would buy clothes from the op shop, but I would put one note after the other because 
The notes didn't mean money to me. It was like monopoly money, had no value whatsoever. Yeah, so having somebody with you, a bit more accountability? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, Before we let you go, we're just going to ask you to share maybe one tip that somebody with a gambling problem out there might might have. Um, One tip that they can take away with them today that you think could really help them. Well, with modern technology, I reckon everybody Googles. Google help, help with gambling. Yeah, definitely. I know that definitely is. Don't go on your own. That's another one because it keeps you more aware of what's going on. And, yeah, Google help. There's lots of help available if you try. Great. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Bye. You're listening to Not A Dollar More. My name is Shane Rogers, and in this episode, we're talking about when gambling can go from being a fun or social activity to a harmful and addictive problem and everything in between. In fact, 12% of Victorians are experiencing low to medium levels of harm from gambling, and about 1% it's already become a serious problem. To explore this a bit further, next up, we're going to chat to Cheryl, a gambler's help counsellor who's going to explain the difference between all these different levels of gambling harm. Welcome, Cheryl. Hi, Shane. Can you start by telling us what low to medium risk of gambling actually looks like? Gamblers experiencing a low level of harm. These are people who are gambling for pleasure. They've gone along probably with a mate and they've had a meal and they just play the pokies for half an hour or something. So social. It's a social situation. And... They may go over their limit and there's the odd occasion that they might feel guilty about their gambling. But more often than not, that's low harm. So just on that, yeah, a lot of people start there, don't they? Absolutely. I think a lot of people will talk about where their gambling started and yep. it, normally it started gambling with friends, social outings, after work, pretty innocent. Yes. And then perhaps what happens is there'll be a stressful situation happen they might take themselves off to the pokies, say, and they feel that if they gamble for a little while, if they play the pokies for a little while, it'll make them feel better. Once you start doing those sorts of things, you're moving up into a moderate harm level and what happens often there is that you often spend money that you can't afford to spend and... One of the worst things is that you lose track of time. You're not home in time for something else happening. When those sorts of things start to happen, you feel more guilty about your gambling. And that's moderate harm, okay? And in actual fact, something like 17% of these people, the low harm and the moderate harm, they will move into a problem harm category. Right. And in a problem gambler is distinct situations of credit cards being blown out, real emotional difficulties of of guilt and shame happening, relationships begin to explode. It's affecting every single part of their life. It's about their social relationships. It's about the isolation and their work as well. It affects work practices. 
just going back a little bit, from people going from low to medium, would you say gamblers start gambling on their own? Is that sort of a transition when people start to gamble on their own? They go from low to medium? I would say yes, that it's no longer a social situation. It has become um, a different thing altogether. It's become almost a coping mechanism either for, you know, stress or loneliness or, or, or whatever. And so once you've moved into a moderate harm, it has begun to affect your life. So whether you're a person who is experiencing low, medium or high levels of harm, what do people need to be aware of? You need to be aware of what you're doing, where you are and why you're doing what you're doing. Are you betting more than you can really afford to? Are you needing to gamble larger amounts of money to get that buzz? And when you've gambled and lost, are you chasing? Are you chasing the money? Are you chasing the win? Have you ever borrowed any money? Is your gambling causing health problems? Like, think about your health recently. Has there been a change in your health? Just be aware of what's going on in your life. And more importantly... Talk to someone. Thanks for coming in, Cheryl. Um, I think you really have explained what harm really looks like. So thanks again. You're welcome. So next up, we'll be speaking to Dan, who had a gambling problem for over 10 years, which started out at his local sporting club. And a bit like mine, it started out pretty innocently. But as we know, it can quickly escalate into a much bigger problem. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for joining us on Not A Dollar More. Can you tell us a bit about your story, please? Thanks, Jake. Thanks for the opportunity to come in and have a chat. For me, um, my issues with sports betting from a young age, I started gambling through country football and country cricket teams. My damage was done there through the cricket season when you're a 16-year-old trying to get into the senior side. All you wanted to do is be like the senior players that you looked up to. The start of cricket season is also the start of spring carnival, so they sort of went hand in hand to be part of that. I can remember working at a local sports store on a Friday night, getting my $30 and putting that all into the punting fund of the senior cricket team on the Saturday. And that was just to be wanting that peer group pressure to be part of and feel part of the team, if you like. So that was my introduction to to gambling. Being good at country sports, I soon was able to make a bit of extra money by playing football and cricket, and that money was used predominantly for gambling. But back then, never saw it as a as an issue or a problem. Just um, thought that was part of what everyone did. And in my mind, I thought, well, everyone's doing it, so it must be okay. Yeah, absolutely. But the betting got bigger and probably more often. And with football and cricket trips, nothing to spend you know, thousands of dollars on a, on a trip or on a weekend. And somehow in my mind, I found that was okay. The other thing with country sports as well, like binge drinking, um, we took our football and cricket pretty seriously. I played a good standard of country footy, but um, it was nothing to have you know, 10, 12, 14 cans on a Saturday night, and that was just part of it, not drink anything through the week, but that was part of it, and the gambling went with that. If you're gambling, if you're taking drugs or drinking at the same time, the old Dutch courage and spend more and, you know what I mean, like just ridiculous stuff when you look back on it. But at the time, it was just, that was Okay. Always probably thought I had a bit of a trouble with saving money and not saving money well, but just sort of that put that down to 
me not being good with money, not putting it down to actually I had a gambling problem. And my gambling problem would ebb and flow, like through footy season, towards the end of footy season, it's probably at its worst. And then I might go for a couple of months without a bet when Spring Carnival didn't, when it finished. So it would ebb and flow. Once I got married and, and we tried to have kids through the IVF program, probably got sort of my first taste of probably being a bit depressed and gambled a lot on my own. And I think, like, looking back now, to me, that's a real trigger. When you start doing it by yourself and you're not in a good place when you start, like, to me, that's a real issue. And I started doing that. So, yeah, got through that period of my life. And then sort of the other big change in my life was retiring from sport. Um, Got divorced, um, remarried. So I went from trying to have kids, football in my life, pretty free reign of no really responsibilities, (laughs) to having a stepson, too, and having my daughter a year later. Got sort of a full-blown depression, but being country bloke, there's nothing wrong with me. Just have to uh, get a good night's sleep, toughen up, she'll be right. <laughs> for getting someone to actually come out and say they've got a problem is probably the hardest thing for any of us to yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, never did. And then went through probably two years of fully knowing exactly what I was doing, but just not being able to stop. So through changes of uh, moving from country Victoria to Melbourne, change of a job, yeah, just never spoke to anyone about it, got a problem. My wife thought I was depressed with the move and finishing footy and missing mates and that sort of stuff. But yeah, just never got on top of it. So looking back now, when did you recognise there was a problem? For me, the first 10, 12 years, probably till I was 30, didn't think I had a problem. Looking back now and doing the work that I've done, there's definitely some points there where you could pick up on that, hey, this, this isn't right or this isn't what normal people do. For me, it was like the binge punting, like spending so much in a short period of time and spending a week's salary and going through that and thinking that was okay and spending so much money on gambling over a long period of time. Yeah, um, through my story as well, I-, I thought everyone was gambling and drinking and you know that's, that's part of that culture and that's all you know. Yep. Is that, yeah? It's- exactly, and that's, that's part of being – I don't think – I always quite often refer to it as country sport. But I think it's suburban sport and uh, that's part of, I think, that sort of lifestyle. And I just thought it was okay and that was okay. Yeah. After that period of time, there are other triggers such as gambling alone, struggling through that time and, and having that as my outlet. And then getting to the point also about lying where I was going. I think when you're not being totally honest with your partner about where you are, what you're doing, where the money's going, and when you're getting to that point as well, that was sort of a trigger for me that I was having to do a whole range of things. And don't get me wrong, like gamblers, and you talk to anyone who's a, a problem gambler, they're the best liars in the world. And you're not really fooling a lot of people, are you, when you lie? Because no. I think the people that knew you had a problem yep. probably knew you were lying too and trying to protect you some way. Correct. And I think some part of the lies go to convincing yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think too for that period of time – when I first recognised that, hey, I'm gambling by myself here, I'm fiddling with money, I'm lying to my partner, probably for that eight or ten year, again, ebbed and flowed. But it was like I was giving recognition to myself to keep doing it. Like saying, oh, I'd be right, like I'll have a good win along the way, don't worry. And it was like that giving me the okay to keep going. I certainly know in my early 20s, I went through a lot of denial. So denial about the amount I was gambling, the money I was spending, did you sort of experience anything like that? In the early days, it was denial in the fact that I considered it was okay because I was meeting my other financial, like 
the house was getting paid, um, all the bills were getting paid. But because I had such a large like disposable income, I thought that was, in my mind, that was extra. So that was okay. So there was that denial. Later on, I had a component of being forced to get some help. Got caught out on one of the many lies that I told in finances and got told to go and get some help. But my heart wasn't in it. Didn't feel I had a problem. Again, denial that I've actually got a gambling problem. I just sort of always felt that if I need to stop, I can just stop. Um, but obviously that wasn't the case. So I got some help for a brief with a counsellor. I think I went two or three times. Thought, yep, I'm okay. I'll move on. And then the denial towards the end was just wasn't so much denial. I was sort of probably recognising, getting to the point where I recognised I had got, I did have a problem, but then still didn't have the courage or the faith in my wife or my friends that I could go to them with a problem. So still dealt with that for another 18 months or 24 months. So, And then later on, before everything sort of fell apart, it was just that amount of time and just continually the stress of – it just became so stressful. Like I wasn't sleeping. Like I was having to find money and flip money around and all sorts of things just to keep my habit going. And, it, and in the end, it wasn't so much – Winning, it was just the fact it was like I needed it to have a bet on. Yeah, right. Um, a lot of sports betting. I was betting on stuff like tennis matches and soccer matches in Europe that I didn't even know who was who the teams were. Like, yeah, I was just getting yeah. that out of control for that last 18, 20, 20, 24 well, months. Well, my most embarrassing bet was probably on Big Brother. So oh, yeah. <laughs> up late at night uh, having a, a bet on the result of Big Brother. So that was, yep. that was certainly a moment for me where I thought my gambling had pretty much reached a point where it was really sad. So Yeah. I was the same, like I, with my new job that when we moved to Melbourne, I had a Blackberry and I'd have that on the side of the bed on the floor and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be checking results and it was just yeah, crazy stuff. Like in the bubble of that gambling out of control, you don't see it. Yeah. But looking back, you just think, crazy behaviour. Like I sleep so well now. But I get told off that I go to sleep mid-conversation. And I just think how I got through that period of just not being able to sleep and the stress of it all, and yeah, it's a stressful time. Yeah, yeah. Most gamblers talk about um, a tipping point. Did you recognise a time when enough's enough? I didn't have a choice. Got to a point where I look back and think I wasn't uh, strong enough to uh, stop. I was yeah, only... You still think that? Yeah, I do in a way. Look, I'm proud of myself now to where I've come from because I had a couple of options and probably the me of 10 years ago probably would have packed up, gone to Perth and just buried this scenario in Victoria. Yeah, right. But it was my kids. They kept me here and yeah, I'm proud of where I've got back to. So it was a tough time, like for 12 months, and especially that first month of living on mum's couch with no car, no job. I had a choice then, and but when you have to go to your, your own family home in a taxi, pack up your stuff, give your kids a hug and go and sleep on your mum's couch for... Uh, period of time with no job, no car, no phone. Uh, you've got a couple of choices to make, and uh, that was the tipping point for me. A little bit forced, I suppose. I still, I'm still proud of where I've come to now, but looking back, a little bit disappointed in myself that I didn't seek help earlier. And for me, it was a process. Um, it wasn't just one thing that got me back on track. It was just a collection of a lot of stuff. So the first point of call was a gambler's help counsellor. Um, which um, started chatting to and opening up, which I never did through while I was gambling. And talking to people who have had lived experience was really important for me going through that time, getting involved 
in local GA meetings and, and, and meeting other people that had gone through a similar process to myself and, and got back on track, which is invaluable again. And, and probably the biggest thing for me was friends, talking to friends um, and explaining to them exactly what I'd done, being totally honest and putting exactly what I've done and, and how much I'd lost and the damage I'd caused, putting it all on the table. And my close friends, my inner circle, yeah, couldn't have asked for more help, like just support. And when I say support, even just a phone call, like the phone calls kept coming, how are you going, what's going on, how are the kids, and just that phone call and being open and honest about stuff. And I think it's a really important point you made before that it's not one individual thing that got you to where you are now. So it wasn't just the counselling, it wasn't just the GA, it wasn't just your mates. It was the, the process of going through all those, working out which ones help, um, which ones perhaps not so helpful. Uh, absolutely. Um, we're all different and all our stories are different too. And what we've done and, and, and the damage we've caused is all different. So for what's worked for you and your recovery, Shane, to me, could be completely different. And yeah. the next person that walks in and needs some help, their story's going to be different. And their recovery is going to be different as well. So I just don't think we can pigeonhole a recovery that's going to work for everybody. I think you need to be flexible. A recovery is going to be different for each person and, and what they need out of, out of the programs. Yeah, I totally agree. So life without gambling now, what's, what's life like? A lot less stressful. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and more money in the bank too. <laughs> um, they're two major things that are, are a lot better. Uh, look, it was tough, still tough for a long while because just wanting to fix everything. Like I wanted my marriage back. I wanted my kids back. I still wanted to live in a family home, but that never happened. So I had to be single and do the single parent thing, which for for a while I, I probably really struggled with because I had a mentality of looking back, the what ifs. And I did a lot of work with counsellors and that just to get my mindset of, oh, if only I had done this, if only I had have told my wife about my issues six months earlier, if only when I had that win I put that in the bank and stopped gambling then. You know, it just does your head in like as far as – and it's stressful as well. So – when I was able to do that, and that probably took a good 12 months to do, um, one of the, those parts was getting involved in helping others. It allowed me to move forward, I think, too. It just gives you that little bit of a, I'm giving something back. Peak Connection Program as well, and then uh, been, another program called Respin, getting into that, involved in that, and speaking to people. And Because when you're in your gambling mode, you're so closed, and for me, it's part of my healing process to be able to be open. So that's part of my process. Uh, professionally, I'm back to sort of where I was prior to losing my job. Losing my job had nothing to do with my gambling, but I was gambling on the job and not doing my job well. Um, so that took a little bit of work to get back to where I was. Um, kids, yeah, it's been a long battle, a stressful time, but got to a point where, yeah, now I see them regularly now and yeah, a lot better. I met a new partner in Ballarat and living out in the country again, which is I'm sort of a country lad. But, yeah, just a bit more relaxed I know now, like, um, I look back on how I reacted sometimes with my gambling, uh, with my kids, and I was a pretty poor father in that time, just going over the top with, you know, punishments and stuff because I was grumpy about a bet I'd lost or that sort of stuff. So I'm a lot more uh, focused with my time, although potentially I only see my daughter three days a fortnight. Um, I'll probably spend more time with her in that three days than when I actually lived with her. I know that might sound odd, but... Do you know what I mean? You're spending actually time with them, and that means 
potentially getting your nails done and a hairdo and <laughs> playing Barbies and doing stuff that, you know, but um, actually spending time with them, not sitting there with my phone next to me, checking results, putting bets on and, and that sort of thing. So I'm no more relaxed too. Like I know things don't worry me nearly as much as what they did. Great. Thanks very much for being here today, Dan, and sharing your story. It's really nice to hear the recovery story. And before we say goodbye, um, can you give us one helpful thing that you've learned through your recovery that you'd like to share with people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably the thing for me, if there's one thing that I've learned or to really try to get my point across, it's opening up and asking okay. for help in whatever form that may be or take. I look back through my recovery and I was never brave enough through that process to ask for help. And if there's one thing that I can get to people, ask for help before it's too late. Be brave enough to ask for help. Your friends and family will amaze you, and I'm sure they'll be supportive. They might be shocked with the story. I'm sure they will be, but they'll be there to help. Say, listen, I'm struggling. I can't cope at the moment. I need some help. And I think in whatever form that takes, I think that's probably my message. And I think that you know how easy it is to get help. Yeah, absolutely now, definitely. Um, at the time, no. Didn't think uh, you live in your own little gambling bubble and you think there's no one. It's only happening to me as well. That's the sort of thing, oh, this is only happening to me. You soon realise that it's, that's not the issue. There's you know, hundreds and thousands of people who are struggling with gambling. And if you can carry on, like, just taking that first step, being brave enough to take that first step before it gets to a point of, yeah, really bad situation. Great. Thanks, Dan. And thanks again for joining us today. No worries. Thanks for the opportunity to come and have a chat. Cheers. You've been listening to Not A Dollar More. Thanks to all our guests today for sharing their stories and experiences. You can check out our website for more information about harmful gambling and all the different types of help available at notadollarmore.org.au. Another good place to start is the Gambler's Help Number, which is 1-800-858-858 for free and confidential help. This podcast has been produced by Banyul Community Health. My name is Shane Rogers. Don't forget to listen to all our other episodes for more stories of problem gambling, recovery and ideas about ways to make changes and to get help. Bye for now.